Welcome to the PokePress Digest Podcast, a Pokemon news magazine show. Here you'll find some of the best content offered by our site. For more, visit us at pokepress.blogspot.com. This episode has two segments. In the first, Anne from PKP Podcast returns to discuss the English and Japanese ending themes of Pokemon Forever. We talk about the songs themselves and which one we prefer. Our second segment is from Anime Milwaukee 2017, where I interviewed the winner of the Pokemon Sun and Moon Tournament, who just so happens to be a YouTube manga reviewer. Find out about his team and his channel. Thanks. Hi, I'm Stephen Reich here at the Pokepress Studios in Madison, Wisconsin. I'm on the phone with Anne from PQB Podcast. And this is the fourth in our installment of comparisons of the English and Japanese ending themes to the Pokemon movies. So this is episode four. We're going to do Pokemon Forever, or Celebi, A Timeless Encounter. And uh, on the Japanese side, we have Please Let There Be Good Weather Tomorrow. And on the English side, we have Celebi, R-A-T-E. Very acoustically different songs. We're going to probably get a pretty good comparison. Probably going to also have fun talking about some of the other music associated with this movie. But uh, let's start with some background info on the songs like we usually do. And why don't you tell us about Please Let There Be Good Weather Tomorrow. Okay, so yeah, the uh, the Japanese title of that is Ashita Tenki Ni Shite Okure. Um, it was written by Tanaka Hirokazu. If you've listened to some of our past comparisons, he's written a lot of those themes, a lot of music for the Pokemon anime, and um, a lot of the other songs that are on the Japanese CD. Uh, the composer was Tomita Motohiro, and uh, the arrangement and the singing voice was provided by uh, Fuji Fumia, who used to be... He was a pop artist that came up around the 80s and also is uh, the lead singer of a band called The Checkers, which was very famous uh, in their time. They're not so active anymore, um, but they were sort of a rock and roll band that kind of get credited with breaking away from Western-style rock and, you know, finding a truly Japanese sound. Um, they're one of the bands associated with that movement to kind of break away from the the stereotypical sounds of rock and roll and to find something that really fit the feel of music in Japan in the 80s and, you know, kind of connect with both the younger and older generations. Does it seem like this song was written for this movie then? It's obviously Hirokazu Tanaka. Uh, does it sound like it was written for it? Yes, it was definitely written for the movie. Uh, Tanaka Hirokazu definitely does a lot of songs specifically for certain projects in the Pokemon anime. And this song especially syncs up very nice with the mood of the piece and the other songs on the soundtrack track and lyrically it, it matches with what's going on. Definitely for the movie. Yep, all aspects we'll get into in a little bit. Uh, going back over to the English side, we have Celebi, R-A-T-E, which, uh, you know, is Celebi, then a bunch, you know, initialized or hyphenated letters there is the, the title. It was, let's see, it was written by Russell Velazquez and Michael Hagney. Uh, Russell Velazquez worked on a number of songs for the first couple seasons. Um, you, you can also hear him in the title track from the To Be A Master album, and in the second season dub theme, Pokemon World. 
So this is, uh, he's done several things there. And actually, I believe now he's working over at Sesame Workshop. So he's sort of uh, transcended, uh, I guess he's gone down in the age group target audience <laughs> type of uh, measurement, I guess. Not to, not to disparage his work or anything, just wanted to kind of point that out. Michael Hagney was the original dub voice director, uh, you know, during the first couple seasons in the in the Four Kids era. And he also did a number of voices. The one he's probably best known for is Misty Psyduck. He also did, uh, like I said, uh, Blaine and a bunch of other Pokemon, uh, including Ash's Snorlax. And he's also used as the Snorlax voice sample in the English versions of the Super Smash Brothers game. So if you've been body slammed in that game, you know who to thank. <laughs> Obviously, this was written for the movie. I, I suppose the only other possibility is that it was written way before when they didn't know Celebi would be in the movie, but it seems pretty likely that it was written for this context. I would bet that, yeah. <laughs> in any case, uh, so now we're going to talk about sort of the, the feel and our reaction to the movies. Let's go back over to the Japanese side. Now, just to refresh the audience... Uh, I don't have much of a background in the Japanese language. I can hear or understand a few words here or there. But the vibe I definitely got from the Please Let There Be Good Weather Tomorrow definitely seemed very contemplative or reflective. Is is that the sound you kind of got there? Definitely. It's it's kind of got a feel of, you know, watching time go by and nostalgia and, you know, hoping for the future. But, like, there's this breadth of experience behind that it's not like a youthful hoping for the future it's the vision of a, an older person reflecting on the life that came before and therefore appreciating everything that comes next yeah, it definitely sounds like uh, good music to sort of accompany a like thoughtful walk or something yeah. like that <laughs> that's sort of the from the instrumentation and the tempo and, and whatnot that's sort of the you know, you got that little uh, piano back-and-forth melody there. Um, like I said, I don't understand much Japanese. Lyrically, uh, does it tie into the movie in certain ways? Um, yes, but not as specifically as some of the past ones. Like, I can't find any specific section of lyrics that where I, where I can say, oh, that's referencing a certain point in the movie. So in that sense, it's a little weird. But... Like, it, it evokes the feeling of Professor Oak so strongly and, you know, being on a journey because, like, there are a few lines about people walking and thinking about their hometown. But, yeah, nothing specific like in some of the past songs, which is kind of different. Yeah, spoiler alert if you haven't seen the movie. The uh, character who travels through time is... um seems to be uh, a younger version of Professor Oak. Actually, we can pretty much confirm it is. Yeah. They made it actually a little more obvious in the English version that that's who it is. But uh, So uh, does it sound, in a way, like, like Professor Oak might be contemplating sort of the passage of time and things like that and maybe what his legacy as a scientist would be? I Yeah, I would definitely say that. Like he's, It's definitely looking at the world and the beauties of the world and uh, appreciating, you know, nature, which is all things that fit with that character. And I suppose given that he is a famous poet, the very poetic way of expressing the beauty around him is present. And then talking about the children, there's lots of 
there, there's a verse where he, where it's talk about he's just observing the young people, like small hands waving, and he's you know thinking over and over again about all the young people calling out "see you tomorrow" and you know going about and living their lives and how that makes him feel. That is, that is definitely a Professor Oak sort of observation. Like nobody else in the series has quite that perspective. Yeah, I wouldn't say we get to know any of the other professors quite as well, but um, I think that's definitely a fair reflection there. And and the poetry angle, this song, the the, the lyrics have a, a definite meter to them. Even as someone who doesn't speak Japanese, there's a definite intentional rhythm to it. Did you catch that as well? Yeah, it's. It it definitely differs from the pop sound that we're kind of used to, which is kind of a, a set amount of, of syllables and there's a rhyme at the end and then the next line kind of matches that and, you know, we get to expect what comes next. This one kind of kind of meanders almost and, and you know, goes however long the line needs to to complete the phrase. Um, and there is there is a meter to it. There is a, a plan, but it. It's not something that's predictable in the way that our brains like pop music to be predictable and set and rhythmic. It, it follows its own little path as it comes to its thought. You had mentioned some of uh, Fuji, the, the singer's other work. Does it compare? Uh, is it very different from that? How would you compare it? I would say it's a little different. Not drastically, because he does do a lot of, of ballads and he has kind of a lot of those contemplative sorts of songs like The Night When You Think of Me and Under Harajuku Above, uh, Shimokita, Age of Wind. Like he's got a lot of songs that kind of take that deviation, but he also has a lot of songs that are a, a little more jumpy and a little more poppy. So I, I definitely think as his career went on, he found more and more of those ballads, similar to a lot of, you know, solo male pop music of his time and of his age. It, it's nothing like his stuff with the checkers, but... Always interesting to take, uh, you know, a professional musician and compare their, their work on a movie ending song to, to their normal work. Yeah. And uh, like I said earlier, there's a, quite a contrast in the sound of these two these two songs. Uh, if we go back to the English side, Celebi, R-A-T-E, is... Very much a um energetic song, pretty much you know in terms of energy, just the total opposite of the Japanese song um, What did you think of the sort of the instrumentation there? I really like the what's going on musically with celebr a t e um the the effects that they used and the the feeling of looping and like the time goes on and on section like there's a lot of really clever things going on musically in this song um that Taken as a standalone song, I really am on board with and really do seem to fit that that time loop thing. Yeah, the song definitely has an interesting flow. I mean, it does go from start to end, and it is more or less cohesive, but it, it does have sort of those weird little callbacks you might expect from a, a song that has a, a theme about time. And uh, actually, one of the things it does is there are parts of the song that are backmasked. Now, backmasking is where they'll take, you know, words or a passage from from somewhere and sort of flip the uh, sound so it plays backwards and put it in there. It is, um, there are a lot of cases where folks are accused of using it that it's really just a nonsense thing. But in this case, if you reverse it, it sounds 
perfectly clear and you can kind of tell that that, that is exactly what they did. It's, it actually just says Yo Detour, which is also in the song Four Words. Uh, but it, the song definitely has effects like that in it, uh, which, like I said, is befitting to the subject matter. Yeah, it's, it's really cool. Like a lot of the things that they were playing around with in the song. But if I had to sort of, you know, rate the lyrics as saying something about the movie or giving some sort of insight, I, I kind of got to say it doesn't do a great job of that. Um, it doesn't really give me an alternative perspective. It sounds really neat and I like it musically. Mm-hmm. But as far as relating to the movie, I don't think it does as great of a job as some of the previous ones. Agreed. <laughs> I'd mentioned earlier that Russell had done a couple other songs for the uh, Pokemon dub. Uh, Like I said, the title track from Tubia Master and the Pokemon World second season theme. How do you think this compares to some of his other work on the series? Well, I definitely associate him in my head with a lot of the more fun songs, like Two Perfect Girls and stuff like that. But didn't he also write a lot of the songs for Totally Pokemon, like Biggest Part of My Life? Oh yeah, he did write a he wrote a ton yeah, of stuff too. So, like as a writer, as a lyric writer, I kind of associate him with a lot of the songs that have moved me on the English side that were written specifically for the series. So I think he's got a great talent for digging into the series and finding those little moments that kind of resonate with the fans. I don't think this was necessarily his best work lyrically, <laughs> but I think that attention to detail he did musically on Celebiar ATE can also be found in the lyrics he writes that are a little more encompassing, like, again, with Two Perfect Girls or a lot of the songs that just dig a little deeper into the characters in the world of Pokemon. Yeah, you know, maybe part of the issue is that I don't know that I would say Celebi shows a ton of personality in the movie. I mean, it's there. It has its signature time travel ability, but I don't know that we get that much of a character out of it. Do you think that might have been an issue? That could be it, yeah, because the connection of the Celebi and the time travel is there, but it is the low-hanging fruit if you're trying to find something to write an ending song about. Like, there were so many other themes going on in that movie that, you know, really did have great meaning and characters that were a little deeper. Maybe picking a song about them would have given us a better ending theme, but it wouldn't have had as catchy of a title, so. Yeah, I suppose they could have uh, maybe reused this song or rewritten it to be about the Celebi from the Mystery Dungeon games, which (laughs) might have provided more of a... um, more of a uh, springboard there to some interesting discussion. So maybe that was sort of a handicap as well. You know, without knowing more about the production of this song, like I said, musically it seems fine. It doesn't maybe say as much as I would like about the movie, but I, I, I love listening to it, I will say that. Yeah, it would have been a great song to be included on a soundtrack if we had a, a different ending theme. <laughs> but... Yeah, if they were still doing those, you know, those full albums for each movie, I'm, I'm sure they would have had plenty to choose from if they wanted to find songs about the passage of time, because that is a very common subject matter in music. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I can see the song having become a fan favorite as a standalone song, but it, it does leave you a little lacking as a movie ending. And I remember when I heard it for the first time. I, I kind of hated this song for a long time because it was so not what I was expecting once the credits started to roll. And I was a little bitter about that. <laughs> Perhaps. I can I can certainly see that point of view, that this sort of 
in fact, puts the end credits in a b- sequence in a bit of a different light than the uh, the Japanese one does. Whereas I think the Japanese one, based on what I know, might actually encourage people to stick around more. Not that this is a not that Solo BRAT is a bad song or anything, but I don't think it encourages folks to stay and watch the credits. Not that a lot of ending songs can do that, but it seems like. It's in a way telling the audience that it's it's okay to to go up and and uh, and uh, go home or whatever. Right. Let there please let there be good weather tomorrow. It kind of continues the story as an epilogue almost, and it is more culturally um, at the time expected that people would stay around in the credits that this story would continue through the credits. I mean, maybe the parents would you know, start ushering their really young children out the door, but a lot of people would would stay, and that was the expectation that you could sneak little things in the credits, and like the Marvel movies now, people would watch the whole thing to see that. Quite possibly, yeah. I mean, to be honest, just me personally, I usually stick around to watch the end of the credits, because that's where all the music credits are, and being musically inclined, such as myself, that's sort of a habit I got into, to see where everything is from, and who wrote it, and who performed it, and things like that. Yeah, but I would definitely say the mainstream North American viewer, um, until recently, we didn't have that that expectation that people would sit through the entire credits. Whereas I think over in Japan, it was a little bit leaning in the other direction for certain movies. Yeah. Well, we've definitely gotten into the compare and contrast portion of this discussion. It does sound like, you know, the uh, the Japanese song has more going for it in terms of ambition and things like that. Uh, does that sound about right to you? Yeah. And speaking musically about the Japanese version, I do kind of want to speak to it because most of it is that like little piano interlude, but there's a section in the middle where like it really starts to swell and you get like a synth and all these things, some, you know, rhythmic stuff. And like, I'm not going to lie, I was crying a little bit during that section and I was, I felt moved. So it seems really simple at the beginning and then it kind of drops down again towards the end. But there, it's got some moments where there's a little bit more going on with it. Yeah, that section of it is, is pretty impressive if you ask me. Yeah, Celebiar ATE is definitely more even throughout until you get to the very end where it sort of starts to not, well, it does fade out at the end. Uh, well, no, actually it doesn't. It has to have a more or less hard ending, but it, the energy drops a little bit for the last 30 seconds to a minute of it versus this one, which sort of has a ABA type of uh, structure on the Japanese side. Well, I think we've, we've said enough about this. As far as a, a judgment on which we like better, I, I'd absolutely have to give uh, Please Let There Be Good Weather Tomorrow points for you know trying to do something more interesting, more ambitious, having a bit more, I guess you could say, culture to it, maybe a bit more, definitely a bit more refined, and uh, and things like that. Um, Celebi R-A-T-E, though, I kind of prefer as a song to just listen to. Uh, but I'll admit it's a, a bit fluffier. So I suppose on musical merit and tying to the movie, I got to give the Japanese song the the edge in this one. It, like I said, since these songs are so different, it's really kind of hard for me to to directly compare them. But that's sort of where I stand on that. Yeah, they're they're definitely being judged on completely different criteria. Uh, there, there's no similarities at all. I'm I'm please let there be good weather tomorrow as well because I always if it one that fits the movie best. Um, but I want to give 
uh, Celebrity points because I, I really had such a hatred and a dislike for this song, but it has, it has grown on me. It has crept up to be a song that I actually enjoy listening to now. So I think, I think it deserves a little bit of credit for just being a good song that is in a rough place. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't know if they had some other ideas or if something fell through and they didn't have a ton of time to, to write this or if they had to sort of shove it into that place and they had some other ideas about the song. But like I said, if I had to put one above the other, probably the Japanese one for this one. Um, but like I said, by no means do I hate Celebi R-A-T-E. I actually really like it as music and I, as music, would probably listen to it more often than the Japanese one. But if I were going by points, I would probably give the Japanese one the edge. <laughs> All right, so there's some other musical aspects of Pokemon Forever we should probably talk about. The The first one we should probably mention is that this is the first movie where, for both the short, which was not shown in theaters in the U.S., this was a limited release, so that made things a little bit different, but uh, the short and the main movie use the score from the Japanese version, which was not true of the previous movies. Uh, the previous movies, the third movie uses the at least some score elements from the Japanese version, uh, but the main movies for each of the three previous movies have an original score. Uh, how do you think that sort of uh, affects the the mood of the movie or how you perceive it? Uh, any comments there? I think for this movie in specific, it was an excellent choice. Because so much of that movie visually is a Japanese mystical forest. Like, I, I think to have tried to compose something else would have been a, well, not a mistake. I mean, you do what you have to do. I'm sure they would have come up with something beautiful as well. But I, I just think that the evoking that we get with the visual images, it is ideal to match it with the music. And so the fact that they could use a lot of the subscore um, was... I think, a great choice. If that's what it was, maybe it was a necessity. As far as I know, it was a monetary decision yeah. because as part because this was limited release and the technology at the time, they really couldn't afford to do a full rescore for the dub. Now, that would be the paradigm they would use for movie four through the end of generation five with the X and Y movies, they actually did start going back to having an original score written. It is, as far as I know, all synth, because uh, that's kind of the budgetary limitations there. But starting with the Diancy movie, they did start replacing the score again. And I can see pluses or minuses uh, for each. To be fairly honest, uh, especially with the last couple movies, I don't think I've been as moved um, listening to the Japanese scores just by themselves. Because what will happen, just to give a little insight into my musical experience with it, is I will buy the um, Japanese score, I'll get that in, I'll have not seen the movie at all, and the score, I, I think for the last couple movies, has not moved me as much as some of the earlier ones. Maybe there's less of a theme in in the in the score elements um but that's just kind of the way i sort of feel about it so i don't think i personally and especially going through the first three movies that had original dub scores i'm not as bothered by that but i do i do like the score to this movie it's maybe not as memorable as some of the the earlier dub ones or certainly the fifth movie um has a really great score um which we'll talk about in our next episode yes. probably um, 
But actually, there there are two score elements that I really always remember. One of them is from the start of the main movie. It's called, I believe, The Legend of the Forest. And I have a really strange reason for this coming to mind. Because um, whenever it comes up on like my iPod or whatever, I would get confused by it. Because the way those sort of like... Um, you know, woodwind type instruments sound. It reminds me of the score to the 1989 movie, The Wizard, um, which has a, a, um, sort of a, a synth score kind of like that. So, and that, that kind of confuses me and makes it stick in my mind. It's not a bad track. It's actually pretty decent. Uh, but that's one of the ones that sticks with me. The other one that sticks with me is, of course, at the climax of the movie, we have uh, the chapter title on the DVD is called Wrapped Up in Light, is sort of the name. But it's the scene where, I guess another spoiler alert, the, I believe, I don't know if they totally explain it, but the future and past versions of Celebi come back to sort of heal the Celebi in the present and revive it. Mm-hmm. So, but that has the uh, sort of the Celebes theme that we hear again elsewhere, most notably in the um, Zoroark movie where Celebi comes back and is a major figure in that movie. Uh, what do you think about that particular movement there? Um, it's really interesting. Like, I love it musically. The The human voices kind of threw me a little bit. I'm not going to lie. I've, I've, as I've watched the movie more and more, I've liked it more. But I, it did feel a little jarring that, you know, we were having all these Pokemon and it's a Pokemon's specific theme. And then suddenly there was like this la 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 human sound coming out of it. So that was a little weird. But like, I do love the, the sound of it and the grandeur after so much of that score is kind of understated and soft and mysterious. No, it definitely gives a dynamic there. Mm. I'd say, from the perspective of someone who's watched the dubs, I'd say that's certainly up there. Not quite, I'd say, with uh, Tears of Life or the Guardian song or stuff yeah. like that. But it's it's pretty darn good, and I'm glad they brought it back, like I said, in the Zoroark movie in Generation 4. What did you think of the, the Raging Lawnmower tracks? <laughs> Yeah, so the short is the Pikachu's Peekaboo, in case you weren't sure exactly which short aligned with this movie. One of the, the main parts of that is that there is this lawnmower, well before Mo Rotom, <laughs> that has a mind of its own. And it has these very, as you might expect, very chaotic uh, tracks associated with it. There's like the lawnmower, or Attack of the Lawnmower, and then the Lawnmower Returns <laughs> is sort of these two tracks on the score. You know, sort of the befits this piece of machinery run amok. Yes, they are my favorites. Overall, I'd say the score to this this film is is pretty good. I, I it doesn't in my mind as someone who started off with the dub of the first three movies doesn't quite stand out as much as certainly the second movie and to a large extent the first movie. But I, I still definitely think this was a a, a relatively good score. And seeing as how we're talking about the short, we might as well talk about the the Japanese and English sides have different songs there too. Of course, in in uh, Japan, there's a couple little pop pieces, and then on the English side, we also have this song. Uh, it's performed by another somewhat regular from the early seasons. J.P. Hartman performs Pikachu's Coming, which uh, J.P. Hartman, if I remember correctly, did Together Forever on the To Be a Master album. Sort of on the English side for once here. What do you think of Pikachu's coming? 
that was a it was a really fun song. It's not my specific, you know, jam, but it, it got me into the the feel of it, and it, it's a cute little song. Yeah, definitely. And the guitar version in the end credits is is pretty good as well. So, Anne, why don't you fill us in? What did we have on the Japanese side? If you saw the Japanese version of that short, um, okay, we have two songs from there. We have the um, the big midsummer plan, uh, Mansatsu no Daisaksen, which kind of it, it plays under the credits after the little short finishes, and then in the actual segment itself is hide and seek, um, Kakurenbo, which is the song that plays while Pikachu is actually counting and looking for everybody. Um, both these songs have lyrics. Both are written by Erika Kawamura. See, Hide and Seek is actually performed by Whiteberry, who did the remix of the uh, Mazase Pokemon Master for movie four. Well, actually, it would be the fourth season of the TV show, because I think for the movie, they have Rika Mat. It's, oh, right. It's have- kind of a weird scenario. Rika does the actual theme for the movie, but the TV show, which is uses a, an alternative artist for the uh, for that season, which kind of parallels what happened with the uh, American side as well, Born to be a, a Winner, but does borrow some elements from the original Pokemon theme. But going back to the short, uh, why don't you go ahead and continue with that? Well, again, there's so much to say. They're both just really cute little songs. Hide and Seek is kind of interesting, though, because it almost... Like there, there's a bunch of sections where it starts talking about somebody's like love, and it's like comparing the game of hide and seek to like hiding their love for somebody. So, like, I'm not sure how seeking my first love really fits into what's going on in that particular short. Um, but I'm not sure the entire song played also during the Pikachu short, so it could be it was just the first couple verses. And, and yeah, it kind of evokes just that feeling of playfulness. Um, and big summer disoxen is kind of the same deal. It's just, you know, everybody playing together and having, you know, making some good summer memories. Yeah, it definitely, I think, fits the nature of the, the shorts, which is to be a little more, uh, have a little more levity and to be lighter fare than the main movie, which Pokemon movies aren't known for being the, you know, most gritty <laughs> things anyway, but definitely the shorts sort of uh, function as the the lighter end of of the presentation. And we had talked about sort of the opening themes. Um, For the fourth season, um, they brought back the original theme with different instrumentation, uh, and they sort of did the same thing on the dub side. They gave us Born to be a Winner, which is, uh, you know, uses some elements there, especially in the movie version. And this is the first time in the English dub that we get to hear as a vocal performer, uh, he had done some stuff before, uh, David Rolfe, who would do the opening themes for seasons four through eight. Uh, what do you think about sort of that era uh, and his body of work within Pokemon? Okay, I had to look him up, but I have loved this guy without ever knowing who he was or what he did, because he sings the Pokemon opening themes with such a passion and a connection. He sings them like I, in my heart, would like to sing them. Like, so if he doesn't have the same love for Pokemon that I do, I would never know. So I just think he brings such a, a joy and an energy to the, the songs that he sings for Pokemon. Um, that it almost feels like, yeah, this, this is a song Ash would sing. This is the feeling Ash has when this music comes on. 
Yeah, and in this particular movie, they did, um, you know, rearrange the, the TV theme. Uh, they didn't just extend it like they do with the fifth and eighth movies. They they really did uh, re-engineer the audio. Uh, what do you think of that in this one? I really like it a lot. It's It's a fun arrangement, and yeah, I think it really adds to the overall sound of the song. And like we said earlier, paralleling that on the Japanese side, you know, they have uh, an alternative version of Aim to Be a Pokemon Master. Uh, How do you feel that worked out here? To be honest, I have a lot of trouble keeping all the versions of Mazase Pokemon Master straight. Uh, So This isn't the last. Yeah, (laughs) this this will not end ever. (laughs) But um, I don't know if I like it as much as I have enjoyed the first incarnation of the song or even later ones. I think having Rika back on vocals um, does a lot for that just because it is such it, like it is explicitly Ash singing in some places. So hmm. having having other people do the vocals, I think, takes away a little bit for me. But yeah, I like hearing different arrangements of it, but I don't know if I feel the same you know, joy of the the new and the exciting and the different directions that I do for, you know, Born to be a Winner and the way the original theme sometimes gets remixed. And on the English side is what I'm trying to say. Yeah. And um, the other question I kind of wanted to ask here, since both the Japanese and the dub side kind of did similar things here, obviously the franchise has gone on way past this. So maybe this is just hindsight. Do you feel at all like maybe this was a little too early to bring that back? On the English side, no. Because I think, first of all, they did something different with it. So like it was a flavor of what came before, but it didn't feel like, you know, rehashing the greatest hits or trying to like lure people back in or any, like it didn't seem to have an agenda. It was just a creative expression that added more to it. On the Japanese side, hmm, <laughs> that that's a tougher one. I almost think they would have been better going with something different. But Mezase Pokemon Master is so beloved that maybe they wanted to bring it back just for fun. Like I, I it felt like there was a lot less of a, a deliberate vision with that choice, which is why I'm hmm. I don't care for it as much. I think maybe maybe it was the wrong time to bring that ver- a, a new version back. There's also the fact that in in Japan, of course, the anime launched, you know, a, a year or so after the games did, whereas in America, the TV show in most areas launched uh, a little bit before the game, so that changes the perception of sort of what is the Pokemon theme. Mm, yeah, true, true. And that may be affecting the discussion. I can't say exactly how, but that's certainly quite a possibility. Well, I was going to say, neither of us really have the cultural experience of living in Japan at that specific time. So I don't know, I don't know how people would have taken it who lived in the country. I only know how we as Americans hearing it overseas, perceiving it feel. And that makes it a little harder to judge as well. I'll uh, definitely give you that. I mean, it was used, the, the, the aim to be a Pokemon Master was, you know, given an 8-bit remix in Pokemon Pinball for the Game Boy Color. Um, so it definitely has some some notoriety as part of the franchise. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, um, we know what it is, but I mean, like, we don't have the same cultural response to that song that everybody who lived in Japan at the time would have, I think. 
Yeah, it definitely has a different place than the American dub anime theme, I would I would say, is, is probably a good way to describe it, so that maybe that's affecting this judgment in some way. Yeah, that- like the way we burst into song at conventions whenever the Pokemon theme in English plays, I feel like Mizase Pokemon Master has that level of reverence in Japan among its fans. So when I say, like, I maybe it was too early to bring it back, like, for me, yeah. But for them... Like, you know, for me, it's never too early to bring back the English Pokemon theme. So, you know, their their perspective on that, how they feel about that song, I think must be completely different than mine. And I, I was not living in Japan at the time when that single dropped. So I don't feel like I can really capture that mindset. <laughs> that may be a discussion for another day that we may want to have, because there's certainly a lot to talk about comparing sort of the relative stature within each one. Mm, yeah. But uh, one thing I said before we started recording is that I, I've come to realize, especially with this last discussion, I don't hate Pokemon Forever as a movie. I don't know that I would call it terrible. But as with a lot of folks, now there are some folks who really like this movie, and that's fine if you do, but definitely not one of my favorite Pokemon movies to watch like straight through. I think the last time I really did that was when the Blu-ray came out a couple of years ago. Um, I did watch straight through it just to, to get an idea, and I have to say I kind of like the music associated with this movie a fair bit more than the movie itself. <laughs> uh, do you ever kind of get that that feeling as well? I, I definitely do. I I do love a lot about this movie, but you have to accept it has some problems. But its score definitely had a very specific image that it was going for. And so, yeah, I could sit back and just turn off the dialogue and listen to the music. If that were an option, I think that would be totally fine to watch the entire movie and like just toggle on the dialogue during the scenes that are really my favorites. It is a very, very odd dynamic, I would say, and fairly really unique among Pokemon movies that way. We may talk about that with some of the other ones, but like I said, Pokemon Forever, I don't consider it a terrible movie. I've definitely seen maybe not much worse in terms of Pokemon. People bring up the Keldeo movie as one of the other very weak ones. It had some problems, too. (laughs) We may talk about that in a future episode, but uh, I definitely enjoy the music from this. Maybe it's part of it is that the uh, especially the English side of the music, um, in terms of the vocal songs, seems to have m- more energy and and movement to it than, say, the the movie itself, which isn't super slow, but I would not call it one of the most action-packed Pokemon movies out there. Right, yeah. And maybe that was why I had trouble getting on board with it at the beginning, was, you know, so much of the movie is slow and contemplative and kind of enjoying the little moments and then suddenly we have a song that's like big and bouncy and let's move it it does feel like a bit of a tonal shift that you know we we might not have been ready for well i'll say one thing it is my second most favorite fourth movie in the series where a green thing travels through time (laughs) in any case i think that's probably going to do it for our discussion here all right thank you very much Anne. uh again great having you on i certainly look forward to movie five which is going to be a little bit unusual because there wasn't on the English side a specific song written for it. It's all previous material, but I think we'll still have some things to talk about. Definitely, there. definitely. Yeah, thank you for having me on. 
This has been Stephen Reich from the PokePress Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, on the phone with Anne of Peak Bee Podcast discussing the music of the fourth Pokemon movie. Hi, I'm Stephen Reich here at Anime Milwaukee 2017. I am here with Dan Wanazek, also known as Manga Man of the Manga Man Reviews channel on YouTube. And Dan is the winner of the Pokemon Sun and Moon video game competition that was held at this year's convention. So, Dan, uh, let's start at the beginning. How did you get into Pokemon and into competitive play? Hi. Uh, well... For getting into Pokemon in general, like uh, most kids, uh, back in the uh, late uh, 90s, early 2000s, I got into it via uh, the Pokemon anime series. Some of my uh, most fond memories is waking up like at 4 in the morning to my brothers watching the episode where they came across a Snorlax for the first time in the series. Uh, but outside of that, I started off with uh, Pokemon Yellow and been playing the games uh, ever since, like no s- nonstop, all the way up to uh, Moon presently. And uh, what was the team? You don't have to go into the full details, but what were the, the six Pokemon you chose for this one? The six Pokemon I chose, I wasn't too prepared for uh, this one, unfortunately, so I relied on uh, an older team of mine, but uh, with one new addition. And that included Aromatisse, the Alolan Marowak, which was the new entry, Jellicent, Scrafty, Diagonal, and Porygon 2. And this is my Trick Room team. Yeah, definitely uh, a big user of Trick Room there. Your, your Porygon is what usually will set that up and uh, obviously try to reverse the speed order. All right, well, um, was there any particular strategy besides the trick room part? Anything, any combos you were trying to set up there? It was a doubles battle, so um, anything particular there? Well, uh, my go-to opener is usually Aromatize with Scrafty. I get the uh, Intimidate on my opponent's side of the field to take care of any physical attackers. Plus, Scrafty can also fake out any potential threats. Now, I was worried about the Misty and Psychic Terrain, mostly Psychic Terrain for canceling out priority moves, which I had during one match, and I had to just change up my strategy that way by not using fake out. But what I love about using uh, Aromatize is its aroma availability and canceling out Taunt, which has always been the bane of uh, Trick Room uh, teams for a long time. And I love using her. She is surprisingly bulky, always gets my opponents off guard. Even double going into it, unless they use a powerful steel or poison-type Z move on her, she's not going to go down. Yeah, that is obviously uh, Fairy's uh, vulnerability there. All right, well, what worked well for the team in the tournament? You did win it, but are there any particular uh, moves that stand out? Well... Marowak in particular, I was going to be bringing uh, some other Pokemon, but I just didn't have time to bring it in. So I switched out Earthquake with Bomerang. Now, Bomerang is great for those Pokemon like uh, Gigalith, which was in this competition that has sturdy ability, taking it all the way down to its sturdy and then finishing it off, as well as taking care of those pesky Mimikyus with its disguise ability. Yeah, there's a definite way around uh, abilities like those. Let's talk about the finals. Now, this is a double elimination tournament, so you would made your way through the winner's bracket. 
So you only had to win one of the games, but the first game, it looked like you were gaining an edge there, and then things sort of turned around. What happened in the first uh, game of the finals? The big clutch moment of the match, and even though I love using Marowak, that 90% accuracy on that boomerang, I feel cost me the match for it missing the Mimikyu. If I would have been able to take out that Mimikyu, I would have been able to cancel out his priority and then focus more in on the Metagross and taking that out. Yeah, that, that first match ended in kind of a strange way. It was down to uh, his Metagross, which was burned against your Porygon 2, and there was some Trick Room involved. He eventually got uh, a critical hit to knock out your Porygon 2, so we ended up having to go to the second game, which was winner take all. Uh, you obviously won that. Uh, how did that kind of play out? Did you learn anything from the first one? Well, for this one, I knew that he wasn't going to have any Pokemon that were using Taunt, so I forgoed using uh, my Aromatize and instead uh, switched in Jelly Scent. I knew it wasn't the best matchup with all of his uh, Dark and Ghost-type Pokemon on the field, but I kind of thought it would be a nice pivot Pokemon to bring in. And plus, I didn't have too many other options. Uh, Dragonal, I uh, wasn't too sure about bringing in because of that Metagross and canceling out the Poison-type move. It probably would have been better to bring in Dragonal instead, now thinking back on it. But I did, I did forget about the Dragonite. Uh, he kept setting up those Dragon Dances, which he was just getting slower under Trick Room. But with extreme speed, he was able to counteract that and take out uh, one of my Pokemon in the early phases of the match. All right, well, uh, you sort of suggested a few things there. Any changes you might make if you use this team again? Yeah, I am planning on using a couple of uh, different Pokemon and experimenting them with still. I found out that Alolan Executor, a Dragon Grass type, does get access to Trick Room, so I am excited on doing kind of a um, split attacker Trick Room setter with both special and uh, physical. I also have another Alolan Executor on the wings, that uh, will more utilize the uh, Frisk abilities just so that I can use Dragzium, uh, the, the Z-move crystal for Dragon types, so that uh, I can utilize Draco Meteor that way and not have to lose special attack. Gotcha there. All right, well, you, as I mentioned earlier, you have your own YouTube channel where you do reviews. Do you want to talk a little bit about that and some of the stuff you've done recently? Yes, uh, Manga Man Reviews uh, on YouTube. It's under the channel name Genius Incarnate Zero. I know, silly title, but I made it in high school. I've been doing uh, reviews for uh, seven years now. Uh, mostly cover whatever I want, but recently I've been doing these special annual month reviews every January. And uh, last month I did a uh, Poke Month where I looked at all the Pokemon movies, specials, and OVAs. And this upcoming March, in honor of uh, Digimon's 15th anniversary, I'm also going to be looking at their movie specials and OVAs. I am going to be uh, going on to a, a new channel, uh, the Brotherhood of Geeks, which will be premiering in June. So that's my uh, title plug for them here. Uh, but anyways, if you want to look at uh, Pokemon, best look on my YouTube channel. I also have uh, month reviews for Studio Ghibli, and of course my favorite anime series, uh, Loop on the Third. Uh, those you can only view on Dailymotion for now. So go to dailymotion.com, type in Manga Man Reviews, and you should be able to find my channel that way. All right. Well, thank you very much, Dan. This has been Stephen Reich from Anime Milwaukee 2017. Thanks for listening to the Pokepress Digest podcast. If you'd like to find more of our great content, 
visit our website at pokepress.blogspot.com. If you'd like to contact us, send an email to pokepress at gmail.com or follow at pokepress on Twitter. Um, I was living and working in Houston, Texas. I'd been acting my entire life, but I found myself living in Houston and working in video and film production, music writing and producing. And uh, I was working with a gentleman one day on a video uh, named John Grimion. And while I was working with John, he said to me one day, you've got a lot of acting experience, don't you? You've done a lot of theater? And I said, yeah, my whole life. He said, you should go and audition for this place here in town called ADV Films. They buy these Japanese animated shows and they dub them into English and they're looking for actors. 